Welcome to the iSmart Podcast Show with Tom Rogers, founder and CEO of iSmart Networks. We help connect entrepreneurs with key partnerships to build financial freedom. The average millionaire has seven streams of income, and our guests reveal how they created multiple streams in their businesses. We believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world. Stick around for the end of the show, where I'll reveal how you could be our next guest on one of the fastest growing daily transformational podcasts on the planet in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. Okay, thanks for joining iSmart Podcast. On the show today, we have Katie North. She's the founder and CEO of North Financial Advisors. She actually learned how to balance a business checkbook by the age of 13. She spent more than a decade advising high-level executives of Fortune 500 companies while working for industry giants such as Bloomberg and Financial Executives International. She took the leap to start her own business, uh, helping women and entrepreneurs plan for their futures. Uh, really amazing to have you on the show today, Katie. Thanks so much, Tom. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, you know, that's pretty amazing. You know, I mean, I uh, worked on a car when I was, I, I built my own engine and kind of did that stuff when I was around 10 and 11. I was, put, I was putting an engine in cars, which people were always like shocked about that. But I definitely didn't business, like balance a checkbook. So how did you get into balancing <laughs> checkbooks at the age of 13? And are you a robot? <laughs> well, my parents, you know, they were small business owners and we owned a couple of different hotel properties. We lived in sort of a tourist town on the Gulf Coast of Texas, very small kind of, you know, fishing and tourist town. Mm -hmm. And um, so as part of this, of course, it's sort of like the family business, right? And as soon as I kind of came of age, I happened, it's like that sort of the time frame was the personal computer was becoming more prevalent in homes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was sort of the designated one to sort of learn this version of like, how do you write out a check? Um, my, my parents taught me that. And then it was my job to actually learn this new accounting system that we were going to create using our brand new personal computer. Um, and so, so that's like kind of how it started. Um, and it created a lifelong love of spreadsheets. So in that way, maybe my brain is a little bit robotic because Everyone has so their many love, people you know, who are, who are going to start love. being love in love with like robots and stuff like love AI. So, <laughs> you know, like you were, you're probably going to be on that boat, huh? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So, so you're, parents on hotels and then you you know you kind of got into a super young age and then from there you know you got your MBA looks like and then um you know this is all like starting and started working primarily in DC right yes yes definitely okay cool so how so you went from there and then was financial advising and like all these was that the main direction you wanted to go originally or did you just kind of you changed a little bit um, well, the shift happened a lot soon, a lot earlier than that. So um, kind of rewinding a bit when I was an undergrad, um, I actually started off as a business major and wanted to do like business and economics degree. But um, strangely, even though I love spreadsheets and I love numbers, I struggled a lot with calculus. <laughs> and so my brain like, Don't we all? <laughs> really take, take the calculus thing. Yeah. And those were all the prerequisites for um, kind of finishing up that degree. So I, I actually worked my way through college, through undergrad, and I was working full time for the former speaker of the Texas House at the time. 
and going back and forth to classes on my lunch break. And I realized when I kind of hit this roadblock in my undergraduate studies that I had to pivot and change my degree. And so I decided since I was already working in government that I would actually get a government and poli-sci kind of degree. And I finished it out that way. So I took sort of a, like when I was 18 years old, basically had to take kind of a, um, a right turn in the plan, um, which led to this career that I had in government and public service, basically, where I was, you know, I would served as a lobbyist and I did a lot of public advocacy work uh, at the state and federal level. And all the while, my goal was always to get more and more closer to finance. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I did a lot of public policy work on transportation, but I was working on the budget related to transportation. Um, I started working for Financial Executives International. And at that time, it was, it was right as the 2009 financial crisis was hitting. So I sort of wrote, raised my hand and I said, well, I'm going to work on all the legislation that is, you know, Congress's response to the financial crisis. Right. Um, and so I, I just kept building kind of, you know, uh, experience in those areas. And um, that's what led to my job at Bloomberg, actually, where Bloomberg was launching a government product because, um, you know, they're a financial services giant and news and information giant. Um, they were launching a government product. And so um, they were wanting to know basically how, you know, my, my insights on how they could show the impact of what Congress had been doing regarding the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I had a lot of ideas there. So I became one of the early employees on this particular new product that they were launching. Awesome. So each career move is sort of like a closer and closer pitch, getting closer to personal finance. And, and yeah, you were getting like really close to your love, which was balancing checkbooks. You were getting closer <laughs> and closer. Eventually you just, you know, you met the one and you know, everything worked out. Happy, yeah, exactly. you know, the happy ever after. Um, yeah. Uh, that's really interesting. So, so you get, so the business side of it, the financial advising side, when did that start after Bloomberg and financial executive international? Yeah. So I launched my firm five years ago and my goal was always to serve, um, clients that basically are not traditionally served by financial services. Mm -hmm. Financial services is typically a white haired old man, um, rich person's sort of, or a young hustler that just wants to sell you insurance. Or that too. Yes. Um, there's a lot of that. And and so I knew that I didn't want to go work for one of those large firms that kind of pushed that methodology. And I, at that time too, there were a lot more resources coming online to try to help what's, what's known as a solo advisor, someone who mm-hmm. kind of just, you know, um, pick, picks up shop and starts bringing on clients and working with them. But I knew that, you know, it's like my role was to serve a, a different group of people who are just traditionally not served by financial services. And I settled on working with women who are in their thirties and forties who are thinking about big career moves, including starting businesses. Yeah, those are, that's a huge career move. Definitely. Uh, and women, I think now need kind of a lot of direction or a lot of like support, um, more than ever, I think just because, um, my, my, some of my mentors and some of the people that I follow, they always talk about how women are like the, the, are better entrepreneurs than men and they're like the future future of businesses women and all this stuff and and so i think it's an incredibly powerful time to support them and um there's a lot of there's a lot of different resources out there for women growing in business so i haven't heard of a financial um advisor or financial company that focuses primarily on women what is your like main what's your main difference between a financial company financial advising company that works with both women and men 
and you know, like you know, North Financial Advisors that focuses primarily on women. Yeah, I mean, I would say my my company is sort of a hybrid of financial advising, career advising, and life coaching, if you will. So it sort of um, incorporates principles from all of those fields and creates um, basically. I'm I'm a partner and a sounding board for my clients so that they can make these big decisions and have the courage to make big leaps and do the things they really want to do in their life. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's amazing. Uh, and with, with the financial advising, um, space, I know there's many different ways you can create revenue. Like I said, so the guys that I've had as my financial advisors in the past, you know, they just, you know, they try to, you know, get me to do life insurance or save me money on different insurance on different ways in my company. I feel like they're almost, almost like brokers of some sort and they just kind of like offer different products. What are the ways that you've been able to create revenue uh, in the financial space for women? Yeah, I mean, I, the fee structure I have is basically consulting fees um, that I have. And so I create different packages. Um, so in that way, it's sort of like slightly different revenue models where it's like someone can work with me for a, just we have a one-on-one -on -one meeting and that's a package or someone can bring me on as their advisor and I'm their person, you know, and we renew it annually. Um but then I do traditional asset management. So I will invest people's portfolios for them as well. And so that is sort of a different revenue stream that's not tied to the consulting piece. So consulting piece and then investing in their portfolio as well? Yes. Oh, that's cool. So that's kind of like, a, you know, you have a client coming in and they're working on their business or something like that. And then, you know, you've created a really close relationship with them and you end up, you know, helping them grow their business and you get like an equity share with that. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would never do profit sharing for a company oh, okay. that launches, but, um, investments like as in their retirement portfolio or oh, okay. investments they have outside of retirement that are in the stock market. Oh, okay. Sweet. Awesome. Um, very cool. So any other, uh, different ways that you've been able to like create revenue or different new creative ways that you've been able to create revenue, like over the years, even maybe outside of the financial space? Yeah. So in the public speaking world, um, you know, there's a huge need for to to bring financial literacy to the masses because you could have multiple degrees behind your name and be very successful in your career and never would have received any sort of formal training at all or even informal training in personal finance. And so it's the common frustration because a lot of the women that I work with are super successful and, you know, have big brand named university. Yeah. They're like powerhouses because it's like the, they're like gems and around a bunch of stones. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah. beautiful, but you know, there's a sense of shame around that about needing to come to someone to ask about their finances. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, one of my goals having my company is to change that is to bring more financial literacy to the masses. And so, um, I do a lot of public speaking and, and that is a revenue stream. But actually this year I have written a book and it's going to be launching and publishing in December and it's called The Resiliency Effect. Um, and it's cool. basically a way for me to be able to reach more people than I can with limitations to the you know one-on-one -on -one consulting that I do. Yep. Writing a book is like one of the best ways to get your, you know, your mission and or get your word out and for a very, very cheap like it's almost ridiculous how cheap it is and you can get a lot of views a lot of people love books i love books i have tons of books i read books all the time books are great you know so <laughs> i'll definitely be reading your book what is it what is the resiliency effect what is it about so essentially it's the story of how to make sure that the inner journey that you're on matches the outward journey 
that you, that you strive for, you know? So a common theme that I notice among all of the prospects and clients that I work with is that we can all name these big dreams that we're working on. Like I want to have a vacation home or I want to take a sabbatical um, or I want to eventually change careers and be a, you know, dog park owner or something like that. Mm -hmm. Right. And immediately our brain shut those goals down and they say, you can't do that or not right now. You've got this career that you're on, this path that you're on. Mm-hmm. Um, so my book is about kind of disrupting that cycle and actually focusing you on the things that create uh, the, the inner journey pieces that will create that resilience so that you're able to actually start living the big dreams that you want. So how, would, how, would, how do you guide them to eventually live that outer journey? Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the biggest issues today is a, an addiction to busyness and it's, it, you know, it centers around this idea that we all have some amount of imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and all of this is, is, is just about insecurities that we have. And it may date back to things that we grew up with or traumas that we've been through adversities that we've been through. And so it's, it, I think it's really important to take a step back and recognize how that may be helping or hindering your career process, your dreams and everything else. Um, and studies show that all of this is actually passed down in families as well. So if you may have, you know, talked to your grandmother about situations that she's had in life and you actually could be living similar affects um, today because of, of the things yeah. she, she went through. Right. And so I think it's important to do some of that work considering how experiences that you've been through may be limiting you or creating limiting beliefs within you. Um, and one of these in particular that I really harp on is this idea of the need to be busy in order to be achieving something all the time or appearing that, you know, you're making progress towards something. Um, as an entrepreneur myself, I, I put really strong time boundaries um, on myself and I basically work about half time because I know that if I try to push myself any more than that, I'm going to go through a cycle of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll get overworked. I'll eventually it'll turn into a depression, right? Yeah. The creativity um, so level I, goes down too. Like once absolutely. you get to that stress level. So it's almost like not productive. Absolutely. Um, so some of the stories I share is about um, a sabbatical that I took, but also uh, that others have taken. I, inter- I interviewed several women who took sabbaticals and sort of looking at how the idea of a sabbatical could be a total reset on, you know, the creativity, as you mentioned, but also really digging deep to figure out, okay, what is it that I really do want to do? And a time away period is just is sort of like a perfect you know, solution to that in many ways. And so it is something that I coach a lot of my clients through. Um, and I've found a lot of success in finding best practices around, for instance, taking a sabbatical. So that's, um, that's one of the pieces of the book. Awesome. Anything else you would like to talk about the book, like, like different highlight features. So that way people are like super interested and maybe want to buy it and go to Amazon and get the Amazon link. Is it out right now or no? No, it's so it is going to be published in December, but right okay. now I'm doing a pre-sale campaign. So um, I'm funding publication costs through pre-sales. So it's on, actually on Indiegogo, which is a very cool platform yeah. to be able to do this. And um, in five days, I've basically exceeded 60% of my fundraising goal. So it's been Love pretty it. exciting so far. Um, but yeah, I mean, the other pieces that I tackle as far as real world um, recommendations is how do you make a big career change? And if that career change involves starting a business, how do you do that? How do you set your business up so that you're not 
immediately putting yourself right back in the fire that you just left from corporate America, right? Um, yeah, so I didn't. I, didn't, I should have will... read your book because I didn't do it the right way. <laughs> I just, I like, I like lost my job and I was like, I'm gonna start a business after I like, I didn't have a car. I came out of the car and a motorcycle and my brother, <laughs> my brother left, my car got towed, my motorcycle got towed and then I lost my job and I was like, you know what? This is a great time to start a business. <laughs> Right? It was like exactly. the worst time to start a business like ever. It was like the lowest <laughs> of my lows ever been. I was like, I want to do the hardest thing you could possibly do right now and start a business. <laughs> so yeah, it was a very challenging first couple of years. But so, so go into that. Like, I mean, there's so many different, um, there's so many different perspectives on this. Like, should you keep your job while you're doing your business or should you save money and then start your business or you know, should you get funding before you start your business? Like Mark Cuban, mm-hmm. Cuban always talks about, you don't need funding, you know? So, so what's your perspective on that? Yeah. I mean, the, the businesses that I coach and the women that I coach, I'm very big on self-funding and I'm very big on making sure your personal finances are in order before you start the business, because your personal finances are going to be the first to suffer. Make sure you're right? And so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and so if you, if you and your personal finances are in a really good place, right, that gives you a big enough runway to sustain launching a business, which can take several years for it to kind of ramp up to a place where you're happy with it and you can replace your old salary or get mm-hmm. to, you know, get close to that. Right. Um, so I'm a huge advocate of self-funding, um, in that way. And a lot of the, the coaching that I do is around service-based businesses. Nowadays, it is much more common to, to be able to just launch a service-based business. Yeah, that was my first business was a service-based business. It was simple yeah. and cheap and expensive. Right, exactly. There's there's not that many startup costs and you can basically utilize the skills you already have from your corporate life and turn it into a consulting arrangement where you can start figuring out how you're going to how you're going to handle it. Um so but you know beyond those sorts of things in the book itself I've got all sorts of worksheets to make sure you're thinking about how you want to actually create your day. Like what is your ideal day and how does that look as an entrepreneur? Right. Because we have a tendency to just look at things through the lens of how we've always experienced life and a corporate job can be extremely draining. And you can feel like you have these golden handcuffs cuffs that are un, just you can't unshackle yourself from. And you're just and especially in times of covid. Right. We're sort of shackled to our homes and it's hard to turn off the day job. Um, so the idea of the book is to get you to take a step back, really, and evaluate you know, what does your ideal day, what should that look like? And how can you make sure that you're nourishing yourself as opposed to just burning the candle at both ends, which is the societally appreciated way of doing anything, right? Right. Um, and, so your recommendation and so, now during this pandemic would be, that would be that. Like with the business, have you kind of done that same thing during the pandemic with North Financial Advisors? Have you kind of pulled back a little bit, just restructured? And then going going back into it, or or what's going on with that? Yeah, well, luckily I haven't had to restructure all that much. I had you know been I had launched virtual services from the start, and I had always met with many of my clients on video call, just like this, like on Zoom, um, for years. So I didn't have a learning curve with that, and my clients didn't either, which was really excellent. Yeah, that's really awesome. Um, and so I didn't have to do any major operational changes, thank goodness. But I did have to to do a lot more proactive reaching out to people because I found, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of people were sort of deer in headlights, not quite knowing what to do, full of fear, full of concern, but kind of scared to reach out proactively. So I, you know, I had to make the effort to reach out to hundred percent of all my clients and figure out where they were, you know, what was going on with them. 
Um, you know, several of my clients received notices about pay cuts. Luckily, none of my clients have lost jobs, but there's a lot of planning that can be done. Now that we're months into this, a lot of my clients are considering leaving, you know, major metro areas to go move to lower cost places and places where there's not as many people. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of different kind of aspects to the work that are new because of COVID. Yeah. Yeah, it's super interesting. You know, there's there's huge changes right now in almost every industry across the world. Um, so in the financial industry, it has to be a lot of changes as well. I, so your advice to them right now, it can be being you know a financial advisor in you know for young women or new or women in business um, during this time, what 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 would be your best advice you could give? I would say don't make quick or rash decisions. Um, you know, one thing that has come up quite often is real estate decisions because interest rates are so low right now. And because, um, you know, the real estate market has sort of opened up a little bit. I coach most of my clients on their real estate, right? And so I've had several people come to me with super urgent things that they want to do in the real estate space. And I'm always trying to slow things down a bit because oftentimes, you know, when we take the moment to really consider what it is we're doing, we might have a different evaluation or a different um, outcome than if we just hurry through some of these decisions. Um, so that applies to many things, right? Making a big career change at this time, um, making a big move, like if you're going to mm. move and leave where you live now, um, just trying to make sure it's not a rash decision, that it's something that you're going to be able to live with, not just in the next year or two years as we're dealing with the pandemic, but you're, you're feasibly making a 30 year decision if you're getting a new mortgage, right? Seriously. Um, and something's yeah. not based around fear. Like I think that exactly. with, when you're looking at a decision, um, if the decision is literally based upon fear and like, Oh, I I'm, I'm fearing that this is going to happen and therefore I'm going to go this direction. I, I have a, I have, I question those decisions a lot because the difference between fear and real danger, if it's real danger mm-hmm. than fantastic. Like, you know, stay away from the danger, like be cautious, keep on going. You know, there's a lot of things that we do that are dangerous every every single day, like driving, but we're just cautious Mm -hmm. while we drive. Right. But people that are afraid of wrecking every single day, there's always people that are, Oh, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. It's like unrealistic. You know, every single day it's like, you just can't calm down. People that are holding, you know, the the rails of the car while you're going around a corner, you know? So, um, so, so, so you, so you agree with that? Like just when you're looking at a decision kind of pull back, if it's, if it's related upon fear, kind of think about it logically before you move that, move in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. And it's the same thing with the financial markets too. I mean, I'm fielding tons of phone calls to about on with the stock market right now. And there's a lot of fear or concern that people have about the future there. And so again, it's the same kind of idea. It's like, we need to zoom out and look at the big picture because we don't invest money that we're going to need in a few years, right? That's never, it's never the case. We we're always investing for the long run. So what are we looking at for the long run? You know, it's not, it's not necessarily about what we're experiencing now. And so um, fear can put you in a place where that's all you're thinking about and you're really concerned about your portfolio. Right. Um, so yeah. yeah, absolutely. No, phenomenal advice guys. Okay. So thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being on the show, Katie. Uh, you know, how do people get a hold of you to kind of talk to you about these, uh, these things, primarily women guys. Okay. So no one else reach out to her because, you know, <laughs> but in general, <laughs> you know, I've, obviously we want, we have a lot of women that have been on the show and a lot of listeners. So 
um, I'm sure they would love to get a hold of you. How do they get, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, perhaps the easiest website is to find me at katienorth.com and that lists all the places where you can find me. I'm a podcast co-host as well. Um, my book is there. by the way, guys, I know I, I, yep. I was like, I, I, well, I was like, this is the first Katie I've ever known in my whole life that has it spelled like this. So that's super special. <laughs> <laughs> yes. C-A-D-Y. Yep. Fantastic. Yes, C-A-D-Y-N-O-R-T-H dot com yeah. um, is, a, is a great place to find me and all my social media handles as well. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Katie. I really appreciate you being on the show today. I'm excited that you've been able to continue to grow. And I'm also stoked about the new book that's coming out in December, The Resiliency Effect. Um, people just keep an eye out for it, reach out to her, get it on the list. I, I'm going to personally read it. I love getting new books. So I'm happy you're, happy you're writing it and, uh, have a good rest of your day. And hopefully we'll talk to you a little bit later. Thanks so much, Sean. Bye. Thanks for listening to the iSmart podcast show. If you are a business owner with multiple streams of income or professional who would like to be on the daily program, please visit iSmartNetworks.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you do that, tag us with hashtag iSmartPodcast. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. What do you win? We'll promote you and your business to our media fans totally free. Can you also hook us up? In your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. While you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow. That's right. Seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 15 minutes a day. Thanks for listening. And thank you for being a part of the iSmart Podcast.